0: First of all, can we just tell the listeners where we are?
1: We are at Pearl Studios, guys.
0: Okay, Jillian and I are Broadway people. We, as you know, we do a bunch of Broadway Broadway things. So we're at. A lot of you don't have any idea what this is, but Pearl Studios is a place where actors come to audition.
1: It's. uh, We are surrounded by the prettiest, skinniest people.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Hi, Jillian Pensavalle. Hi, hey, Patrick Hines. How? Oh, wow. Tone. I know. How are you?
1: Well, as Pete Campbell would say, not great, Bob. <laughs> um, we're talking about the keepers, and it's it's tough.
0: It is. It is tough. It's, it's hard. It's tough. Tar- the one of the things I will say is that this documentary is incredibly well made. Yes. Also,
1: all, all across the board.
0: And like. Not like not to sound like a crap. Like I'm a homosexual, so I notice these things. Really? The, <laughs> I'm into guys, Jillian. Oh my god. This is not out. a date. <laughs> <laughs> these older women have all been through hell, all of them. They all look incredible. They are why are they better looking than all of my like 28-year-old friends?
1: Because they are the strongest people on the planet. Yeah. And they're just like, I'm gonna live my life. I don't care, like, I'm just gonna be the strongest, most inspiring person, and I think it just radiate, they just radiate pure goodness. They're amazing, I love all of them.
2: Baltimore has always been a quintessentially Catholic city.
3: The priests were the authority. Whatever they told you to do, you did. The city has its level of corruption. Sister Kathy exemplified this spirit of compassion and kindness. I have never had a teacher like that before.
4: She was murdered our senior year and it's always haunted many people in the community. Our mission, we were driven to find out who hurt Sister Kathy. People pop up from 45, 50 years ago who say, I have a story I'd like to tell you.
5: I believe Kathy Sesnick was killed because she was going to talk about what went on at Keo. There's
2: an on-the-record public story of what happened to Sister Kathy. And
0: then there's the world beneath. What is The Keepers about?
1: The Keepers is about who killed Sister Kathy. Sister Kathy Sesnick was a nun in Baltimore. She was murdered. What was she covering up? What did she know?
0: What You're are in such a now? bad mood about it. It's, I'm
1: like, I just, I'm having... <laughs> I've never
0: seen you like this.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of horrifying things in this, especially when we get to the next episode. But overall... Yeah. Every episode I ended on a note of feeling inspired and empowered because of these women. And
0: to be fair, it's not like I'm like, ooh, pop the popcorn, yeah. like this, you know.
1: Oh, I stress ate the shit out of everything <laughs> in my house when I was watching this. The but Gilmore
0: I, Girls, this is not. No. So, okay, th- this is the first of two episodes about The Keepers, and this this episode's going to cover episodes one through three. The second episode covers episodes four through seven, in case in case you couldn't follow, and um, and you can you can get that episode right now as well so they're both available now so we are just going to basically go basically go through this like an episode at a time so in episode 1 we first want to just sort of, like, talk about the characters we meet. Who is the very first person we meet in this documentary?
1: Tom Nugent. <laughs> Definite journalist, possible hoarder. Yes. In his attic filled with year. I mean, his 30-year career is just in boxes in this attic.
2: I've spent the last 30 years as a freelance writer going wherever I could to do my job and make a living.
0: It's been... He seems very much involved in the telling of the story.
1: Yeah, we always come back to him. Yeah. Because he did so much research on it. He spoke to so many people.
0: Yeah. Damn
2: it. where the hell did I put it? Basically, this story, Who Killed Sister Kathy? It's a 6,000-word monster review of the whole thing.
0: And then we meet the other players. So there's, there are these two, like, incredible... Oh, my God, I love them. These incredible women, Gemma and Abby, each one wonkier and, like, more, like... Up at two in the morning, working the Facebook group, then the next. Yeah, can can you please tell the people my favorite, like my favorite thing about Gemma? I
1: get y'all started with something to drink. That she drinks Yellowtail white wine <laughs> <And> exclusively.
6: <it's- laughs> what kind of chardonnay do you have?
1: I have Yellowtail. Oh, that's fine. That's what I drink at home. Only. And she is no nonsense. Tom Nugent <laughs> describes them as Abby is the intellectual and yeah. Gemma is the
0: bulldog. I, w- I have to say that Gemma has some of the best takes to the camera that I've ever seen. Like, sometimes she'll be, like, cornering a policeman, and then, like, she will literally turn to the camera and roll her eyes. Be like, can
1: you believe this shit? <laughs> can you believe what I have to deal with to get to the bottom of my favorite teacher's murder? Like, look at these <laughs> idiots. Gemma has no time. You know what I also love about these women? None of them have any time for your shit. <laughs> Don't even try it. Don't even try
0: it. They have no time. Actually, you know who does have time? Is Abby. Because Abby. Abby Abby will literally be like, y'all, I know you said this box wasn't there, but I bet it is. But I, could you
3: look for me, please?
0: I'd asked
4: once in the past. Sometimes I find if I ask twice, they, they find them. This is going to dig a little deeper. Yeah. But this, this is a, an old open warrant.
0: Gemma and Abby are amazing. They are the people that are like behind the investigation. Like they're on top of it.
1: They have more information than law enforcement.
0: They literally at this do. Point. Yeah. yeah.
1: And don't worry, Gemma's not hitting on you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. This is my um email address. Because uh-huh. you're not on Facebook,
6: but you probably have email, right? Yeah. I okay. So I'm not hitting on you, okay? Sure, I seriously
1: right. am not.
0: She's gonna give you her email address, but she's not she's definitely not hitting on you. She's got
1: much more important things <laughs> to talk to you about. Gemma and Abby were Sister Kathy's students. Sister Kathy was the cool young nun reading the Scarlet Letter. Reading really edgy
0: books like the Scarlet Letter.
1: But they loved her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when you're 13 years old and you're going to an all-girls school, like you're probably not excited to go to school. It's true. But she made them really excited. I
3: guess because she was so close in age to us, everything she said was romantic. You know, English literature, how you can express yourself through poems when you're an adolescent and you're a girl. That resonates with you. And she was able to touch a lot of people in a short amount of time.
1: They're not just these women who are like, this is an interesting case. Right. This is really personal for them because they loved this teacher. And she was just loved by everyone at the
0: school. Right. Sister
1: She was like the cool party nun, which sounds (laughs) crazy,
0: but... So in the first episode, we sort of find out what... That we find out ha- about her murder, mm-hmm. um, and then the, the, for the subsequent like six episodes, we get the entire backstory of like all the shenanigans involved in it. Right. But so let's let's take the people through the murder. Let's do it. Okay. So Kathy was was a nun, and she lived with the rest of the nuns in like the nun house. But then her and another nun named Sister Russell moved out of the nun house mm-hmm. to live like in a in an actual apartment and teach at a public school. That was
1: an experiment that yeah. they were going to be nuns, but like go out into the real world and yeah. teach at a public school and see how that. Works. Worked.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: so they live at carriage apartments.
0: What are the events that take place?
1: Okay, so on November 7th, 1969, Sister Kathy runs some errands after work. She she told several people that she was getting an engagement present and she was really excited about it.
4: She went from her apartment to the Edmondson
0: Village Shopping Center.
2: Sister Kathy went to the local bank, cashed her paycheck, bought some dinner rolls.
0: Essentially, that's all we know easy. for sure.
2: Several witnesses have told the newspaper and the police. There's no doubt that the nun returns to her parking space, but no one has proved that she ever came back to her apartment. Instead, she
0: vanished. So basically, essentially, like, she just doesn't come home, and it gets to be 11 o'clock, and her roommate, sister uh, Russell, and Russell is her first name. Yes. Doesn't call the cops. Instead, she calls...
1: Jerry Coob,
0: Who was a fox. Yes. He was a fox back in the day.
1: Father Coob
4: and Kathy had met. Kathy was teaching English and Father Jerry Coob was teaching religion. They apparently developed a friendship.
0: So it's kind of noted. Somebody, um, Abby says a little bit later, like...
4: That troubles us a bit looking back. Why didn't Sister Russell call the police?
0: I thought it was weird. We think it's weird now that she didn't call the police right away. Instead, she called this priest, and, uh,
1: and then Brother Pete McEwen, who were where? They were.
0: They had gone to see Easy Rider.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> like, is that? Can you get more November seventh, nineteen sixty nine? I
0: mean, totally. <laughs> So he comes over and they eventually call the cops. They call the cops at one AM. Now she's been gone for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. She's a nun, guys. She she should be home by now. She's
1: the cool nun, but she's not like out <laughs> on the town. Exactly
0: She's cool, but she's not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> so she so they call the cops at one at one AM. One cop comes over and like sort of like takes the report, and then what do they do?
1: They have a mask. They have a mask. They have a little mask.
0: Bread and wine, and I did the mass, the consecration.
1: I guess, it, like in in a gesture of good faith, they leave a spot for Kathy, like thinking that she's gonna saunter in at two o'clock and be like, "You guys."
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Like slurring her words because she just had one hell of a time out at the the Baltimore bars. <laughs> Spoiler alert: that is unfortunately not the case. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought we weren't going to have fun today.
0: What if that's how the movie ended?
1: I would be a much happier person, yeah, and true. so would many, I know. many other people, let oh me tell you. Oh, my God.
0: Mm. So, then this gets creepy. So, then Coob and his friend, the guy that he went to see the movie with, he, go, f- go for a walk.
1: And then it was like, and then we, we spot, spot the car. The car. Mm-hmm. So, Sister Kathy's car is... Close to her apartment, but parked almost backwards like
0: with its rear end
2: sticking out in the street, right adjacent to the carriage house apartments where the nun lived. Whoever put that car there wanted it to be found.
0: Yeah. The keys
1: are there, it's unlocked, there's mud everywhere. There's a
0: twig in the ignition. What Cherry
1: calls the famous twig. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like the bloody glove. It's like the bloody right, glove of totally. this of Sister Kathy's case, which yeah. yeah. But it's a very unsettling because they have a picture of they have the you know, the old police Photo of the car, and it's like that just shouldn't be. It's like, and also, like, they were
0: in the apartment when whoever left the car there, exactly. Like, and they don't even mention that in the documentary, but like, they easily could have seen who brought the car there, absolutely. Yeah,
1: it's very scary and unsettling.
0: One other thing that we need to mention Mary Spence makes an appearance in episode one,
1: her and her Baltimore accent. (laughs) I was a sophomore in high school. It was a Friday night, and my girlfriend and I
0: said, let's look in the phone book and find out where all our teachers live. Tell the people what happened.
1: Okay, so she, like like you do when you're that age, she had a crush on a teacher. Mr. <laughs>
0: Hashtag hot priest. Hashtag
1: hot priest. Her and her friend, they were just like giggling little. They're like,
0: the phone book came the out today. Phone
1: book. And so they go through, look up their teachers, where the teachers live. Then they like decide to go. They don't just look at it and they're just like, oh my God, I know where that street is. Yeah. But they go to the street. It's called stocking. I mean, yeah. you literally
0: call that stocking. Sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, they go and they're like looking at Mr. Noon. What and did they say? He has his undershirt on. <laughs> He's got his undershirt on. And they are just tickled. They are having the greatest time. And then their fun comes to a screeching halt when they just hear, like, angry, violent screaming.
6: Or well, we knew it. We heard
4: this yelling. And I would say it came from that direction. That's where Sister Kathy and Sister Russell lived.
0: Do they investigate?
1: No, they run the hell home. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Wouldn't you? I I yes.
1: You're all you're out you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. It's true. You're staring into your teacher's bedroom window <laughs> yes. and who's like looking at himself in the mirror in his undershirt.
0: <laughs> now granted if I look like Mr. Noon I'd be looking at myself in a t-shirt a lot. Of course. Yeah.
1: But Mary, little Mary and her her girlfriend should not have been there anyway, <laughs> right. so they just get the hell out of dodge. Which in, what's interesting though is that we don't hear about any yelling from Jerry Coob
0: from anybody else. From anybody else. Yeah.
1: Mary Spence is the the only person who mentions this yelling.
0: Um, so that's just kind of it. Kathy's just kind of gone. Um, the next big thing that happens is four days later, like another white girl goes missing.
4: Joyce Malecki is a young woman who was abducted three or four days after Sister Kathy was abducted.
1: Joyce Maleki. She's 20 years old. She's young, pretty, also went out shopping. Yeah. Her car was also left all muddy, There are some similarities here, but the cops are like, I don't really think there's a connection. It's like,
0: (laughs) right? even
1: Gemma and or Abby were just like... Back then, abductions and murders of random young women were almost
4: unheard of. For two young women to be abducted within four days of each other, what are the odds...
0: The, I mean, the best the best part about this is that, like, all these years later, Gemma and Abby are like, "Well, we're work- we're working on Sister Kathy. Let's take the case."
4: So we said, as long as we're spending this time looking around, let's see if we can find any information to help the Malekis.
1: They are a- they are angels on earth. Yeah, how lovely are they? That it's like, no, we'll totally take on your pain and hurt, and we'll help you too. Totally, no problem. Yeah,
0: exactly. So anyway, so jo- but the thing is, Joyce Maleki's body is found really quickly, like within four days. Yeah. They sis- find her body. Yeah.
1: And Sister Kathy's wouldn't be found until, so the, she goes missing November 7th. She's not found until January 3rd, 1970. Kathy. Sister Kathy. Right. Yeah. But they were both discovered in off the beaten path, very secluded areas. Hunters discovered yeah. both of their bodies because it's like they're in the middle of the woods.
0: Let's talk about the law enforcement that we meet in this episode. So first is John Barnold. Is that how you say his name?
1: Yeah. He was the former chief of homicide of the Baltimore City Police Department.
0: Youngest. in his, He was 38 years mm-hmm. old. He was the youngest. Good for
1: him. Yeah. He was super busy. He's got he had a lot of other things to do.
0: I don't want to seem invasive. but, as I said, I was
2: supervising robberies, homicides. There was we were averaging two hundred homicides a year even then in Baltimore City. So with two hundred homicides, numerous assaults, sex offenses, uh, I couldn't really devote my time to one specific case.
0: I mean, we come to find out that, like, the police is completely under the thumb of, like, the bad guys here. But, at the same time they do have 200 homicides a year. How do you possibly investigate every one?
1: Yeah, as the chief of police or the chief of homicide, he was just like I just let everyone else do the work. That's kind of his job yeah, is to, oversee to oversee it, but he should have done
0: more, more. Well, the one guy who did do more was
1: James Skinnell.
0: <laughs> James
6: Skinnell is a retired Baltimore County policeman, okay? Wonderful reputation was involved at the time that Sister Kathy's body was discovered in Lansdowne, took the call from the hunters who reported it, and went out. He was the first officer on the scene.
0: Was- James Cannell, who is such a mumbly speaker that he needed subtitles. I know you watch with subtitles, so you might not have noticed. I
1: didn't notice that. He
0: is subtitled, because you can't understand what he's saying.
1: That is excellent. He's
0: as drunk as I'd like to be midday. Gemma and Abby are... are Skeptical of James Skinel.
1: And Gemma, here's why Gemma is so genius, I think. We know immediately she's like I have a lot of doubts about Skinnell,
6: but he doesn't need to know that.
1: And the way, like, we know that, which is awesome, because now I'm like, I hate this guy too. If Gemma yeah. says we have an issue with him, then you better believe we have an issue. But he she just like knows how to talk to everybody. She like does. she doesn't let on that she thinks that he could have done more or, like, there's something about him, but yeah. he doesn't know that. Right. Like, she's so good at talking to people and getting information. I'll buy you a crab cake if you just make the freaking phone call. <laughs> totally. And he's like, I can. And she's like, you could.
0: <laughs> so, like, what happens is they, he, takes, he takes them to the site where the body was discovered. Right. Right?
1: And he offers up Weird information.
0: What does he say? He was like, he was
1: like, there was no deterioration. uh, There was no maggots or anything. So like, don't worry about that. There were no maggots. Okay, it's on the record. There's no maggots. And it's like, well, we'll get back to that, won't we? (laughs) Let's
0: put a pin in that Skinnell. So then, when they go to like your
1: real name, now I just
0: hate (laughs) (laughs) him. When they go to drop off Skinnell at the end of his like interview, Gemma's like, I go, I got, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go say bye.
6: When we were at your house, you told me some information, and I wanted to ask you about it again. You said it might be possible. To get the report from the patrol officer, and who would we call to do that besides you?
2: <laughs> Probably have to call headquarters. Do you know
6: anybody that we? Do you have any friends now that are still in the police department? Most
2: of department? retired. Okay. Dead.
6: You wouldn't want to make that call for me if I treat you to a crab cake. Would I you? don't
2: think they know me.
1: She's like, yeah, but you like you were, you were pretty big time back in the day. Can't you just call and like pull some strings? And he's like,
0: Why does no. she think that they'll remember him? Why? Because he looks like Paul Newman. Oh.
1: He looked like Paul Newman. That's why uh, they would. She's laying it on so thick. The blue eyes and the beard. Yeah. Okay. I, like, does he even comprehend that I he's in the middle so. of a conversation? I don't
0: <laughs> But then she literally she literally does a take to the camera. She's like, okay, thanks, bye. Turns to the camera. Can you
1: believe this shit? And I'm like, Gemma, no. Pass the wine, girl. I need it. Bad. This is episode one. And I'm like, what am I, know. I watching?
0: <laughs> I know.
1: And then... We're introduced to Jane Doe, (laughs) 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 who now the chills are happening. She is a student who said she was taken to Kathy's dead body. Yeah. So we are introduced to this woman as Jane Doe. Right. Who says that 45 years ago she was taken to Sister Kathy's dead body. And she came out in 1992.
0: But since then, she's been like Jane Doe. Like Nobody knew who she was. And now, and so, like, this is, like, what episode two of the documentary is going to be is, like, revealing Jane Doe. Right. Yeah.
2: Jane Doe probably knows exactly what happened. And it has taken her 45 years to gradually confront the full horror in herself. Who is Jane Doe?
0: Too like like is often off running because it picks up with us like in the kitchen of Jane Doe. Yeah, and Tom Nugent is back. You hear his voice and mm-hmm. he's interviewing her, and you you keep getting like a, a little bit of her face or like whatever. But then there's like a, a reveal and you yeah. see her.
1: Episode two was easily one of the hardest things I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, it, It's so vile that I kind of can't believe Netflix didn't even say, like, hey, P.S., I know you're watching a true crime documentary about a dead nun. It's bad <laughs> right. enough. But this is going to be a little tough.
0: Yeah. it's We're not going to get into no. it here, but, like, the extent of the sexual abuse is, like, really, really fully explored in this episode.
1: And it makes you love Jean so much more.
0: Uh-huh. Jean is Jane Doe. Yes. Yeah. So we, we meet Jane Doe. Her name is Jean. And she starts telling her story.
1: She's a superhero. Yeah. She's a straight-up superhero of a woman. Being Jane Doe, for
5: me, that was paramount. I didn't want anyone to know who I was. I didn't want anybody to know my family. For quite some time, I trusted that I had some privacy with that. Because I was always afraid of what people were going to say and think about what i had said.
0: We'll get back to her in a minute. But, like, the next thing that happens is that we learn about Baltimore.
1: Did you hear that it was really religious and people went to church a lot?
0: (laughs) Every neighborhood had its own parish.
3: Everybody went to church. I mean, rosary, May processions were a big thing. First communions. All the sacraments were a really big deal. You were not only... Going to school with people that were Catholic, going to church with people that Catholic. You were living in Catholic
0: communities. So Baltimore Superchurchy guys, what, what did your boyfriend your husband say to you?
3: He was
1: like, We get it. They go to church. <laughs> Let's keep going. Because it, it was like fifteen different people of like, so we went to church a lot. Yeah.
0: And so but we I think went to church. The point is to drive home that like priests are gods. In Baltimore, especially in the late 60s.
1: Absolutely. If you were
0: a kid and you had a problem with a priest, it wasn't going to go your way. Like the priests were the most revered, revered people in Baltimore. We they, were,
1: they were an extension of God. I mean, really.
0: Like it was, religion was the cornerstone of mm-hmm. existence in Baltimore. Absolutely. And so that's driven home by the fact that the school – what was the school called? Bishop Keogh. Talk about, talk, talk about Bishop Keogh. Bishop Keogh was the place to be.
1: It was really, it was a big deal when you got in. You worked hard.
0: It was really a big deal
6: to be accepted to go to Archbishop Keogh. You had to get in. You had to take an entrance exam. So the big day in eighth grade would be when you came home for lunch and your letter was waiting for you that you had been admitted to Keogh
0: and in talking about the school we also learned about the nuns what what are they like the sisters of Notre Dame mm-hmm. who were the nuns who were who would be the teachers at the school right yeah you know we learn a lot about Kathy in this moment mm-hmm. right just like the the things that people said about her when she was you know they they taught the nuns, although I love how they're all former nuns, like all of them. It's like former nun, former yeah, nun, it was former like nuns. Then
1: priest, then yeah, brother, exactly. where
0: people were like, dude. I'm out of I'm here. Out. But they 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 talk about like Kathy, somebody described her mm-hmm. she was, was like, like a, a rosebud that like gradually opened. opened. You know, like she was yeah. super rulesy, like by the book, did everything mm-hmm. right, but like was still like earthy and cool and people yeah. loved her.
1: Yeah how creepy but like when you, we heard her voice
0: oh my goodness so there's a I, so there's a, a moment like towards the end of the episode where we hear Kathy's. she's reading a poem that she wrote for Jerry yeah. what's, his, what's his last name Jerry Coob Coob um, and you hear her voice reading a poem and it is, she is articulating for Jesus right yeah her diction was on point and to
1: hear of course it's always like we talked about this with Kurt and Courtney but when you hear that person's yeah. voice you're like oh my god
0: yeah
2: bubble's time and true, they break. But some are coupled in a rainbowed joining and float and are and burst together. It is dedicated to Jerry.
0: Okay. So, so now, now we're back to Jean. Yeah. Jean, who's one of the students.
1: Right. And Jane Doe. And she's really the are the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's. Blowing this wide open, really. It's right. it's because of her that we are, are learning about this yeah tragic story. So her story is that she was sexually abused by her uncle right when she was younger. She again, it was a very churchy time. She decides to go to confession about this. She's feeling a, a lot of guilt, which um, sexual survivors assault, of sexual abuse, yeah, That's of like, course. And we meet Father Magnus, who has one thing going for him is that he looks like Don <laughs> Draper, but otherwise he's a piece of shit. So she goes to confession, which, again, I don't know everyone's religious background. It's meant to be. That's the point. The point of confession is that it's anonymous. Right. Like, you're supposed to be able to go and say whatever you want and feel safe. Yeah. He's like, hey, can I see your face and know your name? Just breaking, the like, right out the gate, just not giving a shit for anything the way way things are supposed to go. Right,
0: right, right. And it's super... Oh God! You just—you know—again, I approach everything from having a young daughter and like the predatoryness of it all. Like it, right. it's so disgusting. So he
1: immediately wants to make her feel vulnerable and exposed. Can I know your name and see your face? Yeah. And then he's like, "I'm gonna have to think on this and not sure if God can forgive you right. for suffering through something that is absolutely not your fault. Let me think this over with supreme piece of shit, Father Joe Maskell."
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, poor Jean's like, "Okay,
1: right." Joe Maskell looks like one of the many sketches of the Zodiac Killer, which is totally appropriate. Have
0: we ever seen the two of them in the same room together?
1: <gasps> Maybe he's the Zodiac.
0: <laughs> I'm just he, they are
1: all powerful. That's... <laughs> and he's an actual monster. So you never know, you guys. Oh,
0: did we just solve the Zodiac case? I think we did. We didn't even mean to. Oh, my God. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. You're on yeah. a roll.
1: So it's like, all right, let's see if God can forgive you. I have to think about it. So he introduces her to what she describes or they described as therapy sessions, which is like sexual abuse and torture and things that were like extremely hard to watch and hear about. Yeah. And
0: which I got to say, Gene describes in incredibly stoic and graphic detail.
1: So these therapy sessions, which were just sexual. Ab- I mean, he would call her on the loudspeaker like right. this this is how insane it was. He would say, like Jean to Father Maskell's office, and then like she describes hearing the door click behind her, yeah, and then she would just disassociate and yeah. he there sometimes there were other people there, like the mysterious but violent brother Bob, yeah, and sometimes there were police officers in the room, and it was, but it, it, the psychological mind. F of it all is that she would see he became a protector of sorts like he would stand guard by the door while mm-hmm. these other men were in the room and she actually for a moment saw him as her protector right he just he preyed on this woman who had been abused and that's what he would do he would go through people's records yeah. and find weaknesses and and write up all these weird files he was like obsessed with keeping files on people I mean he's
0: just clearly just out of his mind just like a monster a monster person but we also come to find out
6: Joseph Maskell also was the chaplain for the police department for the Air National Guard for Maryland State Police Maskell was covered because
4: his brother Tommy was a respected Baltimore City policeman and just over the city county line, he was chaplain for the Baltimore County Police, and he was close friends with several of the police.
1: He was basically part of the police force.
0: Exactly. I
1: mean, he had, there were police officers in the room abusing these girls as right. well. Like, they were all working together and on this.
0: Meanwhile, Jean's dad is a police officer, and like that heartbreaking moment where she's like, If you can imagine having to do something to a
5: policeman, your father
0: is a policeman. Just horrifying.
1: So in addition to all of the the physical horror that Jean was subjected to, she also she was called a whore all the time and whatever. Ugh. Just awful. But Father Maskell also had a gun.
0: Oh my god, the gun. And at
1: one point he takes the bullets out and puts the gun to Gene's head and is like, if your father ever found out like that you're such a whore, he would do the same thing, but there only there would be
0: bullets in the gun. Right.
1: The gun comes back because we meet Brian Schwab.
0: Now, I have to ask you a question about Brian Schwab. Yeah. Did you notice what he had up in his um, in the den when he was giving his interview?
1: What his wife calls his dust collecting room? And I was like, that's so mean. Unless, are you a piece of garbage? I don't know. Right, if you're right. a piece of shit, then good on your wife for not letting you celebrate anything. But that's how I look at these documentaries. Like, are you a
0: monster? I know. When I first
1: meet this person? I don't know.
0: He has um, assigned... Lithograph of Batman and Robin signed by Adam West.
1: Okay, well, that's amazing. Again, does it get more 1969 than that? I
0: I don't think it does. I don't know how it was, like, literally the first thing I noticed in that shot. I was like, is that... And then, like, if upon, like, I paused it, if you look at it, and, like, you could clearly say it says Adam West. That is perfect. In his trophy room with all of these awards from being a cop. But he's essentially here just to tell us, he's like, I used to be an altar boy, and one day, Father Maskell came in and, like, put his gun on the table.
2: One day, we were getting ready for mass. You know, the altar boys, we'd get there a little early. He'd come in to the sacristy, and, um... He takes a handgun out of his pocket, and put it on the, the counter in the sacristy. But then he yeah. he
1: asked him. So Brian was like, "Hey, Father, real quick, why is there a gun next to like the communion and the wine? Like, what are we? Is this like a new thing?" And he said, "He like Father Maskell like looked right through him. Yeah. And he said, 'I I've never seen the next time he saw a look that evil was when he was a cop dealing with actual serial killers.' Right.
2: I didn't get a look like that." Until years later, interviewing violent
3: offenders, talking to someone who had murdered somebody, looking in their eyes. That's when
0: I got that look again.
1: And I'm like, oh, great. He really is the Zodiac killer. Amazing.
0: <laughs> all right. So what does Maskell have to How does Kathy tie into all of this?
1: It's clear that Kathy knew what was going on. What's not clear is the extent of, of what she knew. Right. Jean and Sister Kathy have a conversation and Sister Kathy says, how are you liking Bishop right. Keough?" Gene's like, not great, Bob. I'm really not having a good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Sister Kathy tries to get it out of her, and Gene is, of course, apprehensive. Like, who knows? Like, think about being a teenager and yeah. like what room you just left. And so Kathy's like, okay, how about I ask you questions and you nod your head. Good on and, like, you, like, Kathy. Give me a wink or something. Yep. Good on you, which means that Kathy definitely knew a lot more. Well, than what's just the first a question she asked her? She's like, Are you being abused by anybody in the school? <laughs> and Jean's like, Yup. <laughs> And then Sister Kathy, in all of her amazingness, just says, don't worry about it, girl. I got you. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it.
0: However, what does Kathy then go and do? She's like, oh, by the way, can I go live somewhere else and work at a different school? I know. That's, we need, so you've seen the rest of the documentary. I haven't. Mm -hmm. I need that to be addressed. I need to understand why she's like, girls, girls, come here. I know that you're all being horribly sexually violated. I'm going to totally fix this. Meanwhile, like, she's having lunch with, like, Mother Superior being like, any chance I could go work at the public school? Right. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And unfortunately, because this happened so long ago, so many of these people are dead. Yeah. And not just murdered by priests, but some right. of them are just—they died. They were old then, right? So we don't have—we're not privy to a lot of these conversations or information,
0: right? Well, so one of the, the one another important piece of information that we find out, or like you know, our our heroes Gemma and Abby find out that like the night before Kathy was murdered, another student came to her apartment with her boyfriend, and she was sharing with Kathy
6: about the abuse and joseph maskell and father neil magnus came into the apartment without knocking i asked her specifically what expressions were on their faces and she said maskell was furious Magnus looked dumb.
1: And then of course the next day the student is brought into Maskell's office, threatened right. into silence, scared just the shit and scared out of her. Gemma
0: says, or Abby says, one of them says that like this woman who has chosen to remain anonymous all of these years has lived with fear her entire life. Of
1: course. Yeah.
0: So then the next day, Sister Kathy disappears. Right. Some at some point soon thereafter, Jean. Jane Doe gets called into Maskell's office. Right.
5: I was called to the room. It was after school. And he was frantic.
1: He's like, did you hear that Sister Kathy disappeared? I had nothing to do with it, but do you want to see the dead body? <laughs> right. He said, I know
5: you're really close with Sister Kathy and, and I just, you know, I wanted to let you know that she's missing. And he said, but I know where she is. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, you know where she is? He said, yeah, I know where she is. Do you want me to take you to her? And I was like, yes. And then he takes her. There was grass and dirt and um, and I'm thinking, what is she doing here? And I'm following him. And he moved over and there's a clump on the ground and I knew it was her.
1: And here's what's important. Remember, Skinnell was like, just wanna uh, say there were no maggots or anything. Yeah, Can exactly. I say that? Mm-hmm. Guess what?
5: Before I knew it, I was kneeling down next to her and there were maggots in her face. And I was wiping her face and just saying, please help me, please help me, please help me, please help me.
0: The, the, the episode ends with Jean telling us what Maskell said to her.
5: And he came down real close. And he said, Do you see what happens when you say bad things about people?
1: There are some other things, though, that we definitely need to talk about in this episode. Oh, yes.
0: Yes. yes, please.
1: Netflix, Ryan White, the director, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the Nuns Having Fun calendar.
4: <laughs> These are calendars called Nuns Having Fun,
1: and they're absolutely fabulous. I love that we live in a world where it exists. Thank you for throwing this in. And what is her name?
0: Lynn Smith. Thank you for giving us Lynn Smith, because she she takes us through the Nuns Having Fun calendar. What's the first one we see? This is called
4: Sisters on the dock of the bay instead of sitting on the dock of the bay. Sisters on the dock of the bay. Oh,
1: Get it? Like she thinks that we're not going to get these puns and she just wants to talk about the puns.
4: This is called mass transit.
1: Mass, mass transit. Get it? Get it? And the other one was. Um,
0: oh, they're like on a roller coaster and like the roller coaster's going down. And Lynn like just cuts, like all of the nuns have their mouths open except right. for one or something. And then like Lynn turns to the camera and says.
1: I'd yell too, but I took a vow of silence. But we also meet another thing again, like I was saying, like I was just, it's such a roller coaster of emotions because I feel so empowered and inspired by these women. So yeah. we meet other victim, other, other survivors, yep. I'm going to say. And they are awesome.
0: They're all amazing. And
1: they all have the same story. And again, they're all articulate. They've, they've dealt with this in their own way for 45 years. They've found whatever piece they need to find. And now they're like, guess what? We're not going to stay quiet. Yeah. We're going to get to the bottom of this.
0: And we'll find out how when we talk about episode three
1: uh Before we get into episode three, I just want to mention because this comes back. I yes. know you haven't watched the end of it. Jerry Coob and Sister Kathy almost ran away together.
0: And meanwhile, they would have been the hottest couple. I know. Oh my God.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you see the pictures of him back in the day? I,
1: I get it. I saw the pictures. Forget the nuns
0: having fun calendar. I want like the hot priest calendar. <laughs>
1: Only if you're not pieces of garbage.
0: (laughs) And Coop, as far as we know right now, is not a piece of garbage.
1: Yeah, you know, and it comes back. We'll get to it in part two.
0: Okay. So episode three opens with Jean, who's our uh, Jane Doe. Mm -hmm. We're, like, in her house, and we're learning, and this is something that, like, Jillian is going to talk a little bit more about, but, like, we're learning that, like, she has... No memory. Mm-hmm. Remember the the whole image of like the door slamming and like she would disassociate. That click. Yep, oh. that really comes into play here.
5: I'm going to use the word dissociating as if I had separated out from it. The guilt, the fear. It was like I'd hear the click of the door. Everything would stop.
0: What happens is she, she's looking to buy a house.
5: And the real estate agent happened to be um, a classmate from Keo.
0: And the the real estate broker is like, do you go to the reunions? And she's like, no, I never go. I never go.
5: And I felt like I was dancing to get as far away from that topic as possible. And I didn't understand any of that. I just knew it was uncomfortable. I knew I didn't like Keo. I knew I never went to any of the reunions. And she made me look at it.
0: This woman, Jean, is just amazing. I, yeah. And she's like, I'm going to look inside myself, and I'm going to get a yearbook and go, so like, why don't I go to the reunions?
5: Right. I decided that I would do what I did best, which was take it into prayer, settle down, and just be still and work with it on a prayerful level. So I, I quieted down and I let myself just kind of be. And with that came
0: memories. And then it all starts to come back to her. Yeah,
1: she like sees Maskell and or possibly the Zodiac Killers photo. <laughs> and it just all comes flooding back.
5: I saw Magnus's face. And when I saw Maskell's face next to him, all I felt was, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit.
0: So she's, she goes to the archdiocese, and honestly, they say to her, the, the one of their attorneys, Father Rick Woy, says... And he
5: said, I was the first to voice a complaint like this about Joseph Maskell, but that he believed me. He was so personable and told me that Maskell was very intelligent and that if they didn't have everything in place, he would slip right through their fingers.
0: We believe you, but we need to like have it in writing. and blah. So she's writing statements and she reads one of the statements to the documentarians. She's just like rereading her own words. So
5: this is one of the memories that I read to the Archdiocesan representatives. Father Maskell had me come to the office one day when I had free mods.
0: If you haven't seen the documentary, we cannot drive home enough. She is a rock, but not in a an, an, not in a detached way. Like she's just a very strong woman, and she's reading the statement. And it's the only time in the movie that this happens where she reads this like really graphic thing, and then she just looks at the documentarian for like five seconds, and then like boom, her puts her head on the table and starts sobbing.
5: He walked me to the door. He said very soft and slow. I know you hated that. I'm glad. He gave me his blessing and I left.
1: <laughs> I think it's it's what it also represented to her. Like, yeah. here's the statement I had to read that went nowhere. Right, because, yeah. Because, you know, it's just like... Right,
0: because, of course, ultimately, like, the Archdiocese just, like, turns on her. And, like, they, they say to her... He's so smart that if we don't do this exactly right, he's going to slip through our fingers. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying to her, like, the thing that we need that can prove this and we can remove him is corroborating evidence. And she says, like, I'm living through hell remembering this stuff. I'm not going to ask another person to do this. Right. And so that's when it all starts to fall apart. Right. With the archdiocese.
1: But what's also something that's just, like, undeniable, he was taking these girls to the gynecologist –
0: that's crazy. Which
1: is insane. Like that. But this is what I
0: was talking about in the beginning, where the, the, he's telling the parents, like, I need to take your daughter to the gynecologist. And the and the and the father's like, okay.
1: And it's, it's also like
0: prescribing them like medication for schizophrenics. Yeah. Like he goes to the parents, he's like, I think your daughter's schizophrenic. Yeah, so don't believe she's anything crazy. she says. It's yeah. crazy.
1: It's like, no, no, no. She's not making this up. So that if she does come forward, it's like, oh honey.
0: Right. It's just one of the I mean he's a head. monster. Like you you can't drive home enough how how he's a monster. But it's
1: also just like a different time. Yeah. Like that would never Ever, even like ten years after that, right? To for a priest to be in the room mm-hmm. with your fourteen-year-old with this gynecologist, and then God knows what you know, whatever else happens in that room. But for him to be like, I'm going to take you to a gynecologist and then sit in on the appointment, like that's right. insane.
0: Exactly. Like
1: parents, like priests, had that much power, right. And were that powerful that the parents were like, well, <laughs> if Father Maskell says it. It's like this is insane,
0: right? so anyway they so the other thing that had happened is that the archdiocese had like hired there was paying for the family for jeans family's lawyer mm-hmm. and ultimately like the dad like the badass husband calls and like fires that guy and is like this this is not going in the right direction and who do they hire <gasps>
1: Ms. Beverly Beverly Wallace Wallace. She doesn't have time for your shit Don't even try it (laughs) She has got no time
0: She had an incident when she was a kid That made her have certain feelings About the Catholic religion Right.
6: I grew up in a very small town in Kentucky And when I was little My two best friends came home And said sister Mary whatever Says we can't play with you anymore Because you're a heathen You're not Catholic And I didn't even know what heathen meant So to me my view of the Catholic church was just, they're another church. And I didn't see the archdiocese as this,
0: you know, monumental institution. I just love the way she says, Sister Mary, whatever. whatever. <laughs> and I also love the way that she says, they're another church.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she is eye rolling, but taking it so seriously. But she's like, you guys, right?
0: So this is the point where like Beverly Wallace does decide needs to happen is they need to find other people that this has happened to. Right. So Jean's amazing fan. Her like eighty five brothers and twenty two sisters. I know. They and all, all like of their kids and all of their kids. All
1: hands on deck here. Oh for Jean. God!
0: They're all like in the cutest house too. That house is so cute.
1: Yeah. They, like, get a gigantic table. (laughs) Right. And they all sit there, and they write handwritten postcards. But wait, how did they get...
0: So they had to find people from the school who had been there and get them to come forward. Right. How did they do it?
1: They, like, trick a nun into (laughs) giving them the entire alumni list from all time of Bishop Keogh for, like, $10.
5: $10. Some nun answers the door in the convent. So my wife... She said, well, I'm an alumni of Seton, and I, I want to be able to contact a lot of people so we can get together and have a reunion. And I wondered if you had any kind of a,
2: a book which would have everyone's name and address. And
0: <laughs> she said, oh, yes, honey, but I'll cost you 10 bucks. That's okay. That's okay. We'll pay you 10 bucks." So they write enough. these anonymous letters that just say, like— do you did you suffer sexual abuse at Keo mm-hmm. Do you know about sexual abuse that happened at KIO? If so, please reach out to this lawyer. Right, they, and they, what do they do before they send the letters?
1: They pray over them.
0: Okay, that's a lot.
1: That's a lot, but like I love these people. Yeah, they're me doing. Too. Okay, fine. Like, <laughs> God, I take it back.
0: <laughs> oh, <sorry>. Don't String-
1: <laughs> don't message with and her family. I will. I will get Beverly Wallace on your ass so fast. But I just thought they were like so strong. All the kids yeah. were there. It was like they are going to do whatever they can do to help their family my sister or family member get this like get justice finally they sent out over a thousand postcards yeah they thought they were going to get a few responses they got between 40 and 50 i was yeah. crying
0: it was amazing
1: and what they realize is that as the postcards are coming back or the responses come in it's all the same
0: story right. everybody that calls uh, we're
5: talking about father maskell father maskell practiced psychology according to him. this has to be about father, father maskell. maskell
1: called me into his office and asked me to sit on his lap
5: I have a very extensive amnesia regarding large portions of time. wait to get out of there.
3: You made me tears. It
6: made me feel like I really did have all these problems. years, I regretted not telling anyone.
1: It's all coming back, and Beverly's like, "Perfect." Yeah. And the church is like, "We don't care."
0: <laughs> right. We know we
1: asked you for this. We know you're giving us exactly what we wanted. Meh. Sorry. Too bad. We're just going to move him around.
0: So, this is what happens. You start, they have this like amazing graphic of a map where they're like, you're seeing where Matt, what's his name? Maskful. <laughs> where, like, wait, let's give him a nickname.
1: That's not the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> right, the Z-
0: oh, the Zodiac Killer. Right. But then
1: we're going to cover the Zodiac
0: Killer. It's, it's going to be confusing. So, Zodiac Maskell, right. you see him getting moved all over the place. Right. While Jean is like meeting with all the lawyers, like he, this guy's alive and she's afraid that like any day she's going to walk into a conference room for a meeting and he's going to be there. Of course. Yeah. It's horrifying. Because it's a possibility. Yeah.
1: Before we move on to the big cliffhanger, because. Yeah. This- series loves its cliffhangers <laughs> and I'm all about them. I really want to talk about how Gemma and Abby are now l- researching all of this and they know everything that happened. But when they were at Keo, yeah, they had no idea.
0: Right. And it's, it's jarring when you see that in the documentary because like... It- you meet so many students that this has happened to that you for a minute kind of forget that Gemma and Abby are even a part of the story. And then it comes back to them and they're like, we loved high school. We, everything was amazing. We had no idea. And you're just kind of like, how is that possible? But then Julian, you explained it to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, a lot of people say like Abby admittedly was like, at first I didn't believe it because she would like, were they going to the same school even? Right. And Gemma and Abby were just lucky enough to not have any abuse in their history for Maskell, Zodiac Maskell to, to, prey on them so abby when abby says that i just sort of thought like as someone who has experience with who has been sexually assaulted not of course anywhere near to Jean's story t- and the, the women at keo but it's people don't realize like why didn't you say anything the way i can explain it is if you had trouble watching this documentary uh-huh. if you have trouble talking about episode two and explaining it try living it And then saying the words to somebody. It's really hard. You do work on yourself first. And if you don't want to remember things, if that's how you deal with it, then that's how you deal with it. Mm -hmm. And it's really nobody else's business when you are ready to talk about it in whatever way and to whoever you want. So to me, it's very simple. But when you don't experience it and you haven't lived it, it's hard for people. I can kind of see where they're saying, like, but if this was happening, like, why didn't you? And also, she was just being threatened. And again, these, these were godlike people. And she
0: was shown a dead body and was like, if you...
1: Let's not forget that, everybody. <laughs> Which is the whole reason we're, we're all, here. It's the
0: whole reason we've gathered here today. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the big cliffhanger at the end. All
1: right, so here's the deal. Zodiac Maskell, super creep, terrible person. (laughs) Um, You know how he was, like, taking all these files, these detailed files? While he
0: was, like, molesting and raping these girls. Right. Yeah.
1: What he does is that he buries them in...
0: There's, like, a cemetery.
1: Holy Cross Cemetery. Okay. So what he does is he, like, puts them in plastic. Preserve them. Got to preserve those papers. (laughs) It just seems like
6: this would have been the place where you would... If you were going to get rid of something...
1: He would do it back in there, and he tells the caretaker like he's not even smart enough to do it himself. And they talk about like what a genius this maskal guy is. But he's like, "Hey, cemetery caretaker, <laughs>
4: dig a hole ten by twenty feet in a back abandoned part of
0: the cemetery, put yeah. all of
1: these sealed boxes wrapped in plastic that is not suspicious at all, and then reseed it and resurface it with gla- with grass." Can you but do also that? Also,
0: can you do it in the middle of the night so nobody sees?
1: Kenya, thanks. <laughs> so the caretaker's like, "Sure." <laughs> And then looks at the box, like, of course. Right. like, what exactly am I
4: burying and why? (laughs) Well, Mr. Story was pretty street smart, it sounded like. And while Maskell was getting more documents, Mr. Story climbed down into the hole and opened one of the boxes and looked at the documents.
0: Then he gets fired and then takes the, and then goes to the, to the police.
4: And in August of 1994, when Jane Doe came forward, Mr. Story went to a detective who is off the record. nicknamed him Deep Throat from the from the old Watergate inside source. Deep Throat says that Mr. Story told him the story and said I know I don't know what falls down there but I know where it's buried.
0: And the detective on the case, he's the one that they're calling deep throat because he is afraid for his life and for his family. So he's never come forward and said, I have this evidence, but he's seen all the evidence and he knows where it is. And this
1: is not a Jane Doe gene situation where like there's a big reveal. No, the big reveal is his
0: information. You guys, we're not going to give you a big sign-off. We're just going to say, go download episode two. It's equally as interesting and funny. But before you do, Jillian has one piece of information for you.
1: Yes, if you need to call the National Sexual Assault Hotline, the number is 1-800-656-4673. It's anonymous. They're available 24 hours a day. And they'll help you. And they'll help you. They're great.
0: All right, go download episode two. Bye. Bye.